All right, we're going to do things a little bit different this afternoon. So I've invited uh, Simon uh, to come forward. Simon, Joe, Reese, Thomas uh, are awesome people, and uh, they've decided to come with us. I've asked them to be here today. And we're going to have what we've done before is a little sort of a, a panel thing, but it's, it's, not, it's just four people. It's going to be Paul and Mel, and we're just going to dialogue. And uh, God's just dropped something on my spirit right now. And what happens is on, on Thursday morning, Simon, myself, Kirk, and Ryan, who uh, is part of Northern Hills Fellowship, we get together on a Thursday morning here, and we just pray, and we dialogue, and we just bring whatever's on our heart. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of pieces on the table, and it's awesome. And it just goes somewhere. And I just felt when we were planning this, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to do that. I want you to just do what you do there, and just let people listen. And so there's no set theme. We're just going to dialogue, and as he speaks, we'll speak. And what I found, what I find on Thursday, I think Simon agrees, is it activates things. So there are things that you don't necessarily even know, and they just start coming out. And so there's not going to be like a, as I spoke, topic. There's no one, two, three points. We're just going to speak and believe he's going to speak through us. And so I just encourage you to hear what he's saying and allow him to speak to you. So um, Mel, come forward, Paul and Simon. And um, the mics are all on, guys, so just grab your mic. and And just pretend no one's here. <laughs> Which is always a little bit weird because, you know, at times when you're in that environment, it's just, you know, what's so natural. And then you, you get up here and it's like a bit, ooh. Um, so, Father, just speak through us, Lord. We thank you that you want to speak. You're going to speak. You have things to say. And I thank you there are things that you've already birthed on our hearts and our minds, things we may not know, but you're going to activate them. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive, Lord, what you want to say. Father, we thank you, and I pray as we discuss and we just dialogue and we talk, Lord, just lead this discussion wherever you want it to go. We love you. We love you, Father, and we thank you. Um, and I felt just then, I, you know, I, I thought we might get round to maybe talking about um, Jesus and trusting his heart to the Father and not in man, but I just sort of sensed then that he wanted us to just maybe unpack this whole relationship thing a bit more. Um, and, uh, you know, I think some of the things that, that I'm writing about um, in my book is um, the title's Relationship, uh, Love or Function. Um, and I think uh, both are in the relationship, but which defines which. Um, does love define the relationship first, or does function define the relationship? And I think, um, for, you know, like as, as I was, I remember um, I was driving in uh, the little yellow car that we now own that you might have seen me driving around in, which tests my my ego and uh, keeps me keeps me in check. <laughs> and everyone laughs when I jump out of it. <laughs> like it's cool. And um, and I was driving, and God started to speak to me. It was very clear, and he just started speaking to me. Greg, do you, do you think that uh, out of the relationship people have, do you think it's defined through love or function? And I said, well, I said, I, I, I believe most people would say love, 
but the reality I, I, I really, I believe is most of it's functional. And he said, that's right. He said, at least 97% of people would say their relationship with me is based on love, but most people are living functionally, what they do for me. And I want them just to be defined by my love first. So I don't know if anyone's got any thoughts around. The Holy Spirit is speaking this afternoon. Amen. And there's a theme coming through. And it's amazing. It's blown me away since the moment we we came here. I wasn't here this morning. But um, what's amazing to me too is that I've just been recently conversing with a friend of mine about this whole thing about the Father, having having our relationship with God and realizing, do you realize that you call correctly God your Father? It's not just a title. It's a reality. And when it, when it, it's very interesting, if, you, if you've got your Bibles, you're looking at John chapter 20, because this is where I think we've got to understand what, what God was doing with Jesus. And it's after the resurrection and Jesus is in the garden and he's talking to Mary. And in verse 17, the second part of the verse, this is what he says. I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. And do you realize that that was what Jesus' mission was? Was to bring us into relationship with his father with God as his Father. That was what it was all about. You see, just what Greg was saying, by the time the intertestamental period was over between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there'd been, God hadn't spoken for about 400 years. There'd been prophetic silence. And then you get the book of Matthew, and God speaks, and he brings his son. And his son says, I want you to stop living for me out of function out of religious fervor, and I want you to enter into relationship. Amen? And I really believe God wants to restore. That's been lost, I think, in the church a lot. Today we've, we've become very liturgical. We've become, you know, clergy, laity, all that stuff. God wants to restore to what he said when he was speaking to Mary, I'm going to your father. And it's interesting because when the disciples, Greg, said, teach us to pray, How did he start? Our Father. And if we can live out of that relationship, everything that Christ has, we have. Amen? That was something we were sharing about this morning as we were praying earlier about this, about understanding that the aspect of of Father. And if... That whole aspect is very dear to me because it was the very thing that he broke in me to realize his love for me was as a father. And, uh, and there have been many accounts of different people who have, have in different ways come across that same, um, same experience, but just differently that he's revealing that father heart nature. And, they, you know, in the Old Testament, it does talk about God as a father, but it didn't, doesn't ever seem to appear to be a living reality in a relationship sense. It was some sort of authority type figure and sort of bit distance and then Jesus becomes this living example, a testimony of a son living in relationship and in intimacy with the Father. 
And then in, you know, I just love that. He says, our, he didn't say my father, and by the way, you guys get the hook on my you know, shirt tails. It's our father. And I've never seen that before. It says, you know, to your father. And so as we, as we were dialoguing this morning, I realized, yes, well, we often then come into this understanding. We say, you know, my father, and even that intimate heartbeat of, of dad, I've never called my, my, my father father. I called him dad. And there was that, that intimate relationship that, with him that I expressed to him as dad. So it kind of feels a bit odd to me talking to God as father because that was never my, the experience of my intimate relationship was, was dad. But it's one thing to address God as father. It was another thing for me to grab hold of the understanding that he is now turning around and looks at me. And two o'clock this morning, he woke me up and he spoke and he said, son, son, and that was just ringing my ears. You're calling me son. It's one thing for me to call you father. It's another thing for God to be talking, calling me son. I want to share with you. Come with me. I think it's just powerful coming into a greater understanding now of what it means to be a son as Christ was the first fruits of the firstborn of many sons. I think it's interesting. I was, I was sharing with Natasha. We uh, we ran into each other at, at um, where was it? Subway. Thank you. And um, yeah, we were just talking about this whole thing, this, this father thing, and, and I. I think there is there's many ways in which the Bible describes God. You know, there's Lord, um, you know, there's King, and yet um, Jesus, pretty much all the time, used the word Father as the, the the name he would give God. And there's something about that. And, and I actually personally and, uh, think there's there's such a, an intimacy through the revelation of God as Father, even though He is one. There's something about that that I that that I know builds an absolute assurance of Him, um, and a and a certainty, and um, because you know words like King still has a can have if it's an unrenewed is like I bow down to the you're the King you're reigning and there's a gap between me and you you know Lord's the same, um, even friend can be sort of like oh you're my bud you know. Um, but a father, I, I think, en- encapsulates the fullness of who he is. And, and that's why I was saying before, and I didn't unpack it so much, but as a father, and as the, as the creative father, he has, he, he has this, this promise rather than a problem. He has a promise that he wants to share with his children rather than a problem that needs fixing. And I, and I think, you know, as I've said before, in this whole relationship, we are so naturally wired to look for the promise, you know, like in, in the garden. It's like Jesus is with Adam, and he says, you can have, the first words he says, he says, you can have all these trees, you can partake from all of these trees. There's only one that you've got to worry about. I reckon if that be me, I would have done this. Focus on the one, watch out for the one. And we miss the promise because that's our natural wiring. And that's why I believe when he was talking to me in the car, he was saying we're naturally wired for function. 
what do you want me to do? Rather, who do you want me to become? And unfortunately, and this is where ultimately I believe we have to take account as his people, as, as a leader, um, and, and I was, you know, it, and we haven't got time today, but this whole commandment commission, God is unpacking. Why do you think the commandment is first? Because it defines the relationship from love. And yet the commission is the thing that you will hear preached the most in a community. It's functional, but it's not first, it's second. The commandment, what is it about the commandment that realigns everything and restores us back to the Father? And then from there, we move. I don't know if anyone wants to jump on that. Um. Just as you said, uh, talking about the commandment uh, in, I think it's Ecclesiastes, it says, you know, this is the whole duty of man, which is interesting because it's duty, you think, is function, is to do. But the whole duty of man is to be in awe of God, to um, follow his commandments. Um, and so it's, it's in the being, it's in the relationship, is the whole duty of man. And... Um, I think it's the beginning of everything, um, and when when the more I'm finding myself before Him and in awe of who He is, the awareness that I'm in the presence of of Him and His His very being, and experiencing that, uh, it it becomes me. It, it it is it is me, and then I it's it's out of that place uh, I function. So I function from his being, um, which, I, you know, and I think about the Beatitudes, and it's, it's the, the being attitudes. Um, uh, so, yeah, for me, it, the, the whole duty of man is uh, to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be in absolute awareness of his being uh, and to, to, to actually receive it uh, we have to receive it to be able to give it. And uh, so, you know, when we talk about the kingdom, that it is peace, uh, joy, and righteousness, that's the very essence, the being of God uh, that we receive. And, and so we can, it, it comes, it func- we function in it because it's uh, part of us. It's what we've received of his nature. Um, and... Yeah, so even even the word function, I think, uh, needs to be defined maybe more. You know that it's it's not just the the doing um, as we might think it is, but it's 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 a being, um, the truth being functionally true. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not just words; it's the words becoming flesh. It's not just what God said; it's what He did. It's the integrity um, of of what you say you believe and what you do. And um, I think uh, the the expression, so in the function or in the in the saying or the doing through the words or or what we do, um, is reflective of what we actually believe. So we can actually hear it in our speech or in our prayers. Uh, we might be going through a hard a hard situation, you know. But but I can I can hear when a heart is faithful to the Lord through the circumstance that it's it's not a hopeless 
this coming out is there's actually a loyalty to the Lord and what he is doing because the person knows uh, they are living in the the being of who he is. They actually know what he is doing through the circumstance. The circumstance isn't swallowing them up. Uh, they, they are swallowed up in the life of Christ. And so, yeah. It's, it's, it's so profound what you're saying, Mo. You know, think about the Pharisees. They lived out of function. They lived out of obeying commandments. And then they ask Jesus that brilliant question, right? They say, what is the greatest commandment? And what does he do? He takes them straight to relationship. He says, love the Lord your God. And everything flows out of that. You establish the relationship with the Father, and then everything flows from that. And it's interesting, you go, you go to be talking about Adam. You know, what happened after, when Adam sinned? What was the first thing that God says? He says, where are you? You see, God, the story of the Bible is about God reestablishing relationship with us. That's what it's about. Amen? And, and we, we try and turn it constantly into religion, into doing things to please him. But that's not what it's about. It's about loving him. It's about relation, relationship with him. Out of that, I live for him. Because I can't live for him unless I'm in relationship with him. And you see in John it says, Jesus says, abide in me. Because unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. It's relationship. And I think, you know, like, I think, I know for myself, I don't know what I was, you know, like even what I was speaking some time ago, and, and it's still right in him, but, you know, I think, I think if our perspective is we need to save the world, that's how you get this functioning, driving, because it's our role to go save the planet and make the planet a better place. You know, Michael Jackson sung a song about it, heal the world, make it a better place. Um, our role is to love the Lord. He said, I come to seek and save the lost, and I restore all things. You... I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love people from that place. As you then go about that, as that work's happening, guess what you're going to do? You will be a greatest witness and be an ambassador from a place of love and the substance that's within you, which is me, they will see and that will draw them. And you will speak words of life and you will speak things of how man gets restored. But our role is not to save the planet. Our role is not to make it a better place. Our role is firstly to love the Lord and through that process, things, he will outwork stuff. But I think, I know for me, I, I couldn't see that. I didn't have that reality. It's right in front of us. And I think once again, and this is the tension, is that you can run away and try and functionally love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Right now, how am I going to make that happen? You know, and, and that's where we get all entangled again. And like we were saying this morning, this thing is, it's a work of the Spirit. But I think, you know, like you were saying there, Simon, like God, God has, He's created this way and then He looks and He, because any relationship's two way, isn't it? It's a two-way thing. Um, Danielle and my relationship wouldn't work if I just married her for what she was going to do for me. It doesn't even start there. So instinctively we, we know that relationships in love with one another because we don't get together because of everything we want to do for another. 
But somehow when we come into the relationship with him, it's almost the first thing we think we need to do. And yet it's not what we demonstrate in any other relationship. And I remember him showing me that some time ago. I said, did you have kids so they could just do things for you, Greg? Mow the lawns, go just shopping, feed the dog. No. Why did you have them? Because I wanted to share my life with them. I wanted to be in love and to share things and to to see them grow and develop to the fullness. You see, well, I am no different. And so I think there's a major, like as a whole, a major rewiring that needs to take place in the body of Christ because, you know, the sound is very much we're going to go change the world. And the reality is how much of us are being changed. So, you know, it's really quite funny. It's like, this morning we talked about worry, and yet we're all going to worry, but at the same time there's another reality on offer. And so, you know, we think, oh, we've got to go and reach those guys, and God's going, actually, I just want to have a look and start right here with you. And as we work here, they'll see a light, and they will see a light as we go because the relational aspect has been defined through my power my spirit. And everything is centered and based around that. And I, that's certainly been my experience. And I, and I love the, the um, that uh, scripture that you brought out about the prodigal son, because, or sons, because they're both actually in the same yeah, position. And you know, from from Adam, the Thomas, and the, the very next thing that happens from Adam's perspective is driven out of fear, because the, the very next thing he says, "Well, you know, where are you? Well, we hid because." I'm afraid. And so the rewiring, I certainly find in my own is that things were driven from a love perspective out of fear. Now it sounds a bit odd, but I knew he loved me, but my response was fear. And coming to this understanding that, that it's, it's not a place of fear, it's a place of intimacy, it's a place of relationship, and the response from me, the change, the transformation that he takes place, that takes place is his work in me, not my effort to try and make it happen so I could be better f- in a better pos- uh, position for him, and that, and it was sort of like a, a rude awakening. And I remember one of the messages talking about the um, the prodigal son and realizing they're both in the same place, and and it's sort of a, a sad indictment from the father to say to the other son, "But everything I have is yours, and you didn't even realize it. So what have you been doing all of these years?" You've been working to try and get something you've actually already got and you haven't realised it. And when you're speaking to my heart and realising, I might not be the one that's run away, but that one sounds a lot like me. And I needed to actually come into that understanding of I know my father so I can actually now trust that he'll do that work in me and I can start to let go. Uh, I'll tell you, the changes are the that's happening here. Peace is incredible. I think I just want to touch on the let go because the letting go is of letting go of everything. So if you think about God defines what the relationship with him looks like. And this is this is the this is the this is the challenge for the church is that the letting go of what has your heart or who has your heart, must 
come into the equation of what the relationship of love looks like with him. Because he says the commandment is love me with all. So the challenge is once it hits us that this is about a love relationship with him, not a function, then who defines what the relationship looks like? He does. And this is what we've been dialoguing as a community. So on my little drive, my yellow little bug, he says, Greg, I have, you know, I knew the scriptures. And he said, he said, go, you know, look at the commandment. He said, I define what the relationship looks like. You don't. And he said this to me. He said, Greg, did you decide to be born? I said, no. I said, did you decide who you're going to be born to? No. Did you decide when you'd be born in history? No. So, Greg, you didn't even get here (laughs) through any means of your own. You're only here because I saw you and I have a love for you. So the only reason you exist is because of me. So you need to see the relationship through my lens. And the Bible says we're not to judge ourselves by ourselves because we have, we lack understanding. But we do that. And we judge the relationship with God through our own lens and we define what it's going to look like. But the Bible is the thing that defines it. Are you tracking with me? So the Bible defines it as the great commandment. And it says this word all. And then God says, if you're not getting this, let me show you Matthew 10 where it says, if you love a son, a daughter, a wife, your own life, you're not worthy of something. So if we track back to this morning's session about being set free, seek first the kingdom first before you add all these things so you can come into the fullness of life and be set free from worry, this is what defines this relationship. Are we giving him our all? Does he have all of our heart or do other people? Because there is an outworking of that. Then he led me to Revelation 2. And this one really hit me. And he's giving a report about the Ephesian church. And he says, you're great in this area, that area, that area, that area. All the functional areas. He says, there's one thing. I don't know about you guys, I used to think it said, I don't know why, because the Bible doesn't say what I'm about to say. It's, I used to think it says you've lost your first love. Do you know what it says? You left it. And this is the challenge for, for us as his people, is that if we want the fullness of life in him, We have to let go of all the things that are holding us and stopping us from receiving that fullness, which is everything else that has its centerpiece in our heart that's not him. And this is the magnitude, and what God has shown me is the life that sits behind the commandment of the spirit. Because I can try and, how am I going to, if I love Danny, how am I going to outwork that out of my heart? The only way that I love Danny, hear him saying, I love God more, and that transaction happens if God reveals himself more. That's the only way. The only reason why I would love Danielle and my children more than the Lord is because I don't know him well enough yet. That's the only reason why. Because Danielle and my children were never, ever designed 
want to compete with God, where are they? We're all to receive this incredible love of the Father. And so that's the only reason. That's why God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because there is a love. He is love. And if he reveals more of himself to me, in me, through me, then there's just a natural change that happens through the power of the Spirit. I agree with everything you've just said, Greg. And I think because the word love is bandied around so much, as we all know in our culture, people, I think even in the church, we, we've lost the meaning of what that really is. What is love? And I, and I think about um, the, the greatest thing that was ever said of King David. You know, the greatest thing that was ever said of King David. It's recorded in the Old Testament. It's recorded in the New Testament. In Acts 13, it says this. Um, after removing Saul, and that's an interesting, we can look at why he did that. And it relates to what you just said. He made David their king. God, God testified. Do you realize that? God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. If you want to define what loving God is, that's it. In a practical sense, what did it mean? David was a man after God's own heart. And that's why when Samuel went into the house of Jesse and all the brothers lined up and they were burly and strong and there were soldiers fighting in King Saul's um, army. Samuel was even confused. He thought, is it this one? Is it that one? And he goes down the whole line. You know the story. And God says, no, it's not him. It's not him. And he's finished, he thinks, because David's still out on the, as a shepherd boy, out on the hills looking after the sheep, the man or the boy who has a heart after the heart of God. And he says, bring him in. We're not going to do anything until you've brought him in. And as soon as he walks in, the Holy Spirit says, that's the one. And Saul couldn't, Saul was a man of function, but he could not do what God wanted because he was, he was living out of function. He was living out of title. He was the king of Israel, but he wasn't the lover of God. But David, because he lived out of relationship, fulfilled the will of God for Israel. Ultimately, of course, the Messiah came through his line, the line of love. And if we can understand that, and if we can live out of that, it transforms everything. You know, the other thing that I find interesting is that it wasn't just Jesus that said that we had to have relationship with his God, his Father. And it wasn't just the Father who said it. But I love it too, if you look in Romans 8, this is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all intimately involved in trying to bring us to this point of understanding what it's all about. And in Romans 8, 14 onwards, it says, I love this bit in verse 15, it says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You see, that's how they felt. So that you live in fear again. That's what it says. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption into sonship. Amen? And by him we cry, Abba. And that is the word as we know, which means daddy. It's the intimate word. It's the point you were making. It's not father, the distance, the king. It's the daddy word. So when the spirit of God's working in my life, what's he doing? He's making me have a relationship with my dad. Isn't that a powerful thing? The spirit, the father, and the son are together in this thing, bringing us back into the relationship that we lost. You know, Adam was called a son of God. 
Elohim, I think it is. It's the angels and Adam were truly sons of God because they were made and had direct relationship with the Father. It was lost, and Jesus then adopts us back into the spirit of sonship and daughtership. It's a beautiful thing. And as we live in that, there's such freedom. Because, I mean, my kids, they don't, they don't run around trying to, you know, in fear of me trying to please me and scrap me. You know, they just have a relationship with me. They can run up and hug me and, you know, well, now they punch me up because they're much bigger than I am. But, but you know what I'm saying? That's, that's the relationship that we have with God. And, and he's still Father, so we've got to revere him. But we don't fear him in that negative sense, as you were sharing. I think what are you, what are you, uh, some of the things that, you know, um, if you find yourself in your relationship is defined by function, um, I think it can be incredibly scary because the transaction of function to love, there needs to be a letting go of something. And I think our identity can be in what we do. So our whole purpose and our identity is contained in function. And if I don't have anything to do now, I really don't know who I am. So that scares me, so I have to keep the function going. And this is massive in God's people. I see it on paid stuff, people on paid stuff, I've been part of that, and, 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 you know, and the whole thing is that I believe we need to find the place where we are so in love that if we did nothing else, it's all fine. And from that place now, functioning roles are put back in your hand. It's almost like the, the Isaac, Abraham thing where God says, here's the promise, you get the promise, Give me back the promise, so now I'm going to give it back to you. So I want to define this. Otherwise, our identity, and, and that, once again, that is our natural flesh suit. And so we can't let go because I don't know. If I let go of that, you know, it's, it's like he, he brought them out of Egypt to bring them into something. So you have to let, you have to come out. You've got to get enter into something else. Otherwise, you, you die in the wilderness. But at the same time, that's where the that's where the trust needs to be demonstrated and modelled. It's it's where the and that's where the tension is. That's where the whole yuck sort of place is. But I don't know if you got. I mean, that's the place you've got to journey through that place to get to the reality. But I think. Unfortunately, too many of us have our identity, and I don't mean today, but I mean in the body. Too many have our identity and our purpose in what we do rather than who we are. Um, Funny, though, that the very thing that you're looking for, that we look for, is the very thing that we have to go through to get, is the very thing that prevents us going any further to get it. So what I mean by that is, how can I trust somebody that I don't know? So to know him, I need to have something to trust him over. So I'm going to have to go through something to trust him in for him to reveal himself trustworthy in. However, in the trusting, I don't like it, so I pull back. 
And I then sell myself short of receiving the very blessing that he's wanting to give me because I don't know him. And certainly I've discovered the more I've come into knowing, I can trust you. I'm not defined by the things around me. If I was, um, in this world's eyes, I'm an absolute failure. But I thank God I'm not defined by that. And you worry less what people think about you when you realise how little they often do. So don't worry about them. (laughs) I worry about what he thinks about me. And I know him. I've grown to know him more and more as an absolute loving father. So much so in my prayers now, I'm thankful for the things that you withhold from me. Because I realise the very things I might be chasing and praying for, however earnestly and righteously in my eyes, he knows that that's not good for me. And I can rest in that and continue to pursue him. And through the experiences of things that, that I've walked through, that he's put me through, or that the stuff of life comes across and that I walk through in him, he's shown himself faithful. So I can trust him more and more as I keep going. I love that song that Michael W. Smith, I think, wrote a few years back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And we all know it, but it's he really crystallized something there, I think. From a guy who's been so successful in writing so much music and seeing so many people all around the world, you know, sing worship songs to the Lord. You know, he says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I bring you more than a song, because a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing. I've made it. And we have made worship sometimes as it's a performance, you know. We've got to be careful about that. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. You know, and that's that's it, isn't it? It's you know, I, th- I think about my my lovely wife Jo, you know. I went to win her heart. That's why we ended up getting married. Fortunately, I won it and nobody else did. But I've still got to pursue her heart every day. Is if we're going to have a viable, you know, living, growing relationship, it's a dynamic thing. And 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 you know what you shared about um, the, the 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 letter to the to the Ephesians. So the problem is that the dynamism in their relationship had been lost. It it was once, but they forsook it. They left it. And if you do that in your marriage, what's going to happen to your marriage? Dead. You have to romance your wife, your husband, every day of your life. Now, when you go to the front of that church and you you make those vows, legally you are married. The day that you gave your heart to God, legally you you crossed over from death into life. You went from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. You went from being no longer a son to being a son. Amen? But you've got to live as a son. You've got to live as a daughter. You've got to live out of relationship. You don't take the piece of paper that you got at the front of the church every day and say, I'm married. You've got to live it so that when people look at you, they can say, yes, you love your wife. You love your husband. And that's what the world needs. God said through his son, the Lord Jesus, how will they know if we have love one for another and for him? It's a dynamic thing. 
Amen. And I think that that's that's the tension, isn't it, for the church to to really, um, you know, I don't know if you heard what Simon said, is that that when you when you partake of Him, you know, when when we invite Him, in, we have been betrothed to Him, and so we are from a from a, a Jewish uh, mindset in the physical, you're betrothed, you're married, and so from a spiritual, we're married, and are we live? As if we're married. So once again, from the spiritual perspective, to have something in your heart that is not him and you're married is called adultery. And we have to waken up to this <clears throat> reality that his love, he, and this is part of my, my car ride, he said, Greg, he said, I'm not divorcing you because I don't believe in divorce. I'm hoping that my love is going to be so contagious, you're going to wake up to the fact that you may have been committing to adultery against me. I'm not going anywhere because my love looks beyond your behavior, hoping I'm wooing you, hoping that the forgiveness that I give you, that I constantly live with, that I see, when you say I love you with all your heart, son, but you actually have this, 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 and look at your time and look at where it's spent, and I'm showing you or, or I'm saying things to you that you don't yet know, and there doesn't seem to be a, a drawing towards it. It's like, oh, yeah, whatever. See, if Danielle said to me, Greg, do you want to know more about me? And I said, no, I'm happy with what I got. But Greg, I've got so much more that you don't know. That's fine, babe. I don't really care. Because I've got all this on the go. Then am I, how much do I really love her? And this is the tension that we have, we have to wrestle with this tension. We have to wrestle with the scriptures that actually define a reality. And we can't look through our lens and go, I'm okay, my mum. She would have told you up until six months ago she loved my dad. I love God with all her heart until God showed her that, no, you actually loved Alan more. And this is the dynamic is it can only come through revelation. It can only come through the intimacy. It can only come as we pursue and he starts to show you his love. And sometimes, not always, because you know, this is, this is a, a process of maturity, isn't it? So we may be able to answer that and go, yes, I do love you with all my heart, Lord, and he knows you do, and your life reflects it. But while that's being outworked, he shows you and says, here's actually a true state. My love keeps covering it. My love empowers it. My love is wooing you. So there is the gap closes over time, and there is this perfect relationship, which is a marriage covenant. And so it's about him defining it, and that's what I love. I mean, his love... Nothing can separate you, nothing, but we can abuse it and not even know we're doing it because we've just spoken one side of a message. How many people know the Lord loves them? And it's awesome. And we've drilled that and drilled that and drilled that, and that's cool, and we need to. But there's another side to that coin. It's like how many of us love the Lord with all our hearts, our mind, strength? He's a person. He longs, he wants to be wooed. That's what God showed me this morning. 
You know, it was like, son, I listen and I see and I love it. I love it when you love me. I love it when you love me back. That's two-way, eh? That's two-way. And that's we, and that's what he's been doing here. He's been doing this here. Greg, your focus is wrong, son. <laughs> With the flock that I've given you, lead them to me. To the fullness. Melissa, we're sharing it before the fullness. His ways are not our ways. And all of a sudden, life comes. So it's, it's not to be heavy what I've said because he's covered it. And there's no condemnation. There's plenty of conviction in my own heart at times that he convicts me on stuff. But it's to realign me and to shape me because he knows that I'm not in the fullness of life that I can be in. So like a good, good father, he, he's going, I do this for your own benefit. I discipline you out of love to straighten you so not only can you receive the fullness of life now but in the future. Um, does anyone want to ask us any questions at all for any clarity or even a comment on anything that we've said? Anything you want to maybe add to what's been said so we can, there's heaps of, you know, there's heaps more stuff than what we've talked about. So any questions, anybody want to add to the piece of the pie? Any other thoughts we've got on relationships? Maybe just throw this around if we want to talk. Uh, just an aspect of um, the father, of a father that he's sort of been showing me more recently is also of him being the source of everything as well. And so just as we receive the things of life and of this world that we're in, that it's actually, uh, he's been convicting me to actually acknowledge that that all comes from him first and to take it to him first before anything else. And so it's just yeah another aspect of him other than just the um, yeah the daddy side. <laughs> Any questions, thoughts? Yeah. Um. The relationship thing is really playing on my heart right now and the intimacy thing with the Lord because um, in the process of my walk with him, um, everything has been revealed to me about that relationship right here in this building. And and even though we say the the physical environment is not that important, but I think... We should keep that in mind anyway. It is a spiritual journey. And in my uh, development of my intimacy with him, he's shown me what it, what, it is, what it is like to marry him, what it is like for him to woo me, to bring me closer to him in this relationship. But I still play... Um, do you mind if I use that word that you... Danielle got this word, told me on Sunday morning about um, the licentious woman. And I sense that that is the church, that is me. I know this is hard. 
And yes, as you say, Greg, his love covers us and I sense his amazing love. I woke up this morning to the beat of his heart, getting me up to come and pray and, and, you know, him telling me how we're not alone, how much he loves us, da 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 da. And then last Tuesday, when we had that all, um, in night, um, I also got another picture of him wooing us towards him and it was a, that white rose, I think I emailed you about he, he, I love white roses, but with that rose, the picture of the rose came the word Rose of Sharon, you know, like that's scriptural. And what he was doing was, okay, he would put out a rose and then he would kind of like hide it away as if he's still trying to woo us. And I, I get the sense I don't know if it's just me, <laughs> but he said to me <laughs> a while ago, a while ago, <laughs> that what is happening to me is what happens to the church. So because I'm a part of it, it's a part of me. I am the bride. You guys are the bride. And he's still trying to woo, <laughs> still trying to woo us. <laughs> and I'm just at the crossroads right now. I felt, yes, I give you a lot. I give you a lot. What you give me, I try to pass on. But I'm holding things back. And I just sense that's why we're not coming into this fullness, this amazing life that he shows me all the time. He's an amazing guy, you know. This Jesus, this Jesus, he's the most amazing guy I've ever met. And I still allow other stuff to get in the way. <laughs> and I just, I would just like to encourage us to just pursue him. He says to me, I pursue you. Do you pursue me? And I think more and more we're coming into a season where, like Greg is saying, just we need to let go, trust him, and allow him to define all those things. What is love? What is relationship? We are still trying to define things from our perspective. But, you know, we, we need to go after him because he's going to leave and he's going to be hard to find. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. So, Lord, I am going to declare today my love for you, and I'm going to work to give my all, all, not bits and pieces, all. You know, I think this, um, this, there's so much that he, if we, if we, once again, we just go back to the start, you know, when he created. And, and, and you know, like I said in my, the, what I'm writing about in my book, the picture of the finish line determines how you run. And um, the reason why, you know, why, why, and, and, and us, 
The Bible says that, you know, God, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to go looking for the matter that's concealed. And, and God loves, but God is looking for her. He's looking for her. And her will love him. And that's what he's looking for. And once again, this isn't, a, this isn't a reality that we have to awaken to. He's the only one that can awaken us to it. So, so today, and, and we can talk like this, and, and, and from what you've just heard, you might go, well, there could be a number of, a number of responses to that from, oh my goodness, to whatever, to when are we finishing? But a reality has just been spoken. And what God looks for, it's probably my phone. Um, is our response and it's fascinating you know when and, and yes the story gets used a lot and it needs to get used more because there is a reality being painted when Mary and Martha are operating and yes Martha always gets the bad rap and Mary's the good girl but it's not about that it's about one person who can't hear and really, at the same time, isn't interested in what the Lord is saying because he says, come and sit with me. And then she tries to get her sister to come and do what she's doing. And there's a massive thing about there about function versus love. And, and yet Jesus is saying, come and sit. And it's, it's interesting, the position of humility is at his feet. So think about that. It's not about serving other people. It's not about giving your neighbor cookies. It's not about preaching the gospel. True humility is found at the feet of Christ. What are you doing at the feet? He's sharing his heart. He's revealing himself in you, through you, to you. And he's revealing his purposes and his ways, and that is consuming. And he wants to be—he wants us to be consumed with him. I read a scripture this morning: undistracted devotion to the Lord. Undistracted. If I've got a wife and children, a house, and a holiday, and a career, I'm very distracted. I'm on the stock market. I now once again, there's nothing wrong, but. Can you hear what I'm saying? Undistracted. God is looking for her. And I remember years ago, and they said, Greg, this was real clear, and it awoken me off my couch. He said, would you have married Danielle if when you got to the end of the altar, she looked at you and told you she loved your best man more? I said, no. He said, well, See, why would I want to marry a people that tell me every day with their lives and their choices and their time and their resources and what they spend their lives doing? The Bible's clear there are, there is five foolish virgins and there are five wise ones. And the five foolish don't enter into something. They were foolish. 
Their love is still the same, isn't it? But there's a consequence. There are consequences for actions. And I've been awakened to this reality, and I wasn't six years ago. So I understand and I get. Uh, Whatever. I get that. I used to do it. I get it. I get the fact that what I know and I love is more important than God. I get it. Put my hand up. But today, again, we're hearing of a a reality because I know for me, God shifted that. As I actually decided I was going to seek out what I was hearing. So today I would ask you to seek out what you've just heard. Don't write it off. Don't go, oh yeah, for another day. Seek him while you still can. Seek him while today is the day, for today is salvation. And I promise you, once he reveals more of himself to you and the lights go on, it's like you're found partaking, you're found more. And I've seen this, and, and I've shared this even even with, with Danny. You know, like we, we, she beats me upstairs now. I've watched my wife over the last two or three years, what she was hearing. You know, there was a fight in our house for it. I'm sick of hearing about this stuff. I'm sick of it. And I'm going... It's him. You don't know what you're saying. You're sick of him. And I'm sick of it. And then I watch my wife surrender and submit and repent and break. And then I saw the floodgates open to the point now where she beats me upstairs and she's got the anointed spot in the house. <laughs> so she'll get her face licked as well by the dog because the dog's here as well. But And I've seen a transition and a shift in my wife. It's real, it's tangible, it's for all of us. It's just whether we want it or not. And it's cool. On one aspect, I get the tension of not today, you know, because the All Blacks are playing and, oh, that's going to be awesome and then it'll be another game and then it'll be another thing and my kids are this and my kids are that. And life goes on, like I said this morning, and we will get enveloped by life. Or we can pursue him more, receive more of him, and he will define all that stuff. Because it's not just for now, guys, it's for the future. There are things in the future, there are promises that God wants and he's looking for her and that she will receive. And it's for all. That's what's amazing. It is for all. So um, I don't know if we've got any more thoughts or comments. or. No, I was just saying as Vera was sharing that how God is outworks us for us is incredible and you spoke about it before about that his grace covers while we're having this outwork within our lives you know the the whole issue is well I can't be good enough exactly so my grace covers you while I outwork within you the position for us to be is as you say is at his feet that I can come humbly before him once I know you as my Father, as my Lord, as a lover of my soul, do I believe what these words are saying? 
I'm simply going to trust and believe them and come to you. And knowing, the word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I can come to him in my state as I am, knowing that there is no condemnation, not because of me, but because of him. So I can come. That's the very problem. So that I can come and his grace is sufficient. His grace and peace keeps my heart steadfast in him so that he can outwork his living word within me. That as I come into his presence, I trust he will speak to me. Now when he speaks, it's conviction that comes, not condemnation. Condemnation has no life in it. And there is no condemnation in life in him. And I think sometimes we hear the the living word and the testimony of life in a snapshot that might encapsulate five or six years of growth, of of revelation, of transformation, and think, oh, I've got to come into six years. And it's all, well, yeah, you do, but it took six years to get there. Now, unless God happens to arrest us and it's all done like that, we go through this. And we even look, you know, I spoke a few Sundays back about coming into the promised land. And he spoke to them and said, you're not going to get the whole lot all at once. If you do, it'll kill you. So I've got to do it stage by stage for your benefit. And I think... It is, I guess it's, it's more this understanding of realizing and praying, thank you, Lord, for what you've been withholding from me. Because had I had that years ago, I guarantee you now that would have killed me. It might have been the blessing of God to heal the world and do all the rest. But focused on me, it'll kill me. For his glory, it brings him glory, not me. And so allowing him to work and to say, Lord, I trust that you will bring conviction to my heart. The bit I'm responsible for is respond to the living word at work within me. Christ, sharper than any two-edged sword, alive and active, living within me, separating between the soul and the spirit that I'm now able to make a choice. Do I respond in the flesh, the soul, or do I respond in the spirit? Having received revelation from him on what he's sharing here, and then step in in the spirit. But by but I think it's why he says line upon line, precept upon precept, bit by bit. We certainly don't expect it of our children in the physical. You're born, we'll get up and run for goodness sake, go mow the lawns. It takes some time before the, you get the kids to do that. Yeah, it would be crazy. You just wouldn't expect it. So why would I expect that for me or for you? Would I not have the same grace for you that God has got for me? 30 years to plus of walking with him to get there. So the same grace he extends to each one of us. And I trust that when you bring conviction to my heart, my response will be to step towards you, not to run away from you. Amen. Um, just as you're speaking the, the word, you know, uh, his love, uh, his grace, it covers us, um, and his love penetrates us. And his truth, you know, like you said, the sword, it, it separates. 
And um, I often have found that his love, it tests the heart. That's what love does. And um, and it, it separates. And the, the more... The more we are loyal to Christ, the more we are separated from other things. And so separation is almost, it, it happens as we, we draw and become closer uh, in oneness with him. And um, I guess what came to mind was um, Solomon, you know, he, he asked for, he says, Lord, I, you've given me your great people. It's your people. And I, I ask for your wisdom so I can govern over them uh, righteously and, and right. And um, he was tested when um, two women came to him. And I, we probably know the story about um, th- th- they both had uh, two children. And at night, the one mother had rolled over and, and killed her, her, her son. Um, and what she did was she went and replaced the child, uh, the, the dead child, with, with uh, the living child. And so the, the mum, uh, she had woken up and found not her child, but she thought it was her child, was, was dead. And so they... they they're accusing each other in the household. No one else is there. It's just them. So no one can testify. And um, they go to King Solomon to say, can you, can you judge this righteous, righteously? Because that woman is claiming um, that this is her son. And I know that's my son because I examined him. I know what he looks like. I know what is mine. And um, what he says is, uh, go get me a sword and the living son, we're, we're going to cut him in half, and both won't receive. Now, in that act, that can come across really cold, really cold. And you think, well, how unfair is that for the mum with the, with the living son? Um, but what happened was the mum of the living son spoke up and said, no, don't kill him, but give him to the other mother. Um, it, Give my son away. It's that's that love. It's the testing of the heart. The one state, because the other mum that had the son that actually died and she knew it, said, that's a great idea. I've lost, she must lose. And that's, that's a state of heart. And that's what he tests. And that's what love does. And I think that is um, the beauty of righteous governance is to test the heart. And I believe that's what, We've allowed at the rock what leadership our leaders, our elders have have led us into. They have allowed the questions of the Lord to test our hearts, to separate, to allow his love to to penetrate us in such a way that our state is revealed and uh, his his grace, hallelujah, covers us uh, through this process. And so I'm thankful every day um, for our elders and for our leaders uh, to, to, lo- to love the Lord and allow him to righteously uh, govern us, that we would be tested to the core and to allow the separating to happen, uh, to be cut off from the world, to be holy unto him. Um, so thank you. And um, I encourage us all to pray for our leaders every day to lift them before the Lord and, and thank the Lord for, um, for giving, giving us a leadership that, that care for our salvation as if it's their own.
um, because it is the most important thing, isn't it? It's it, it, Life begins with him and it will end with him. Um, it starts with him and we will stand before him on our, you know, just ourselves. And so, yeah. Can I say one thing off the end of that? And that would be my final thing. Because I tell you what, you, what you've just said is is just so crucial, Mel. It's in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, it says this, that the Holy Spirit warned through the Apostle Paul about what the last days would look like. Okay? And in 2 Timothy 3, he says this, people will be lovers of themselves. Get that. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I want to issue a warning today. We're living in a world that's never been more hedonistic, never never been more egocentric than right now, never been more consumer-minded, me-minded than right now. That's what's been drummed into you every day, every time you turn on the television, every time you read a magazine, your friends, the whole culture we're living in is about you receiving more and more. Let me issue you a warning coming off the back of that. When you come into this place, don't you ever dare to come in to receive. I know you want to receive. God knows that too. And he will be faithful and you will receive. But come, as David said, when he, when he went to the temple, he never wanted to go with an empty hand. He wanted to go to give. Amen? And I'll tell you what, my brother and I were talking about this just yesterday. And we were saying, why is it sometimes in a worship service you can feel it just go flat? And very often it's because we've turned attention back to ourselves. It might be the song selection. It might be something someone said about themselves. I'll tell you what, if you talk about Jesus, if you lift him up, if you love God, if you exalt him, the Holy Spirit will come in power because he wants to be where Jesus is exalted. Amen. And we exalt you, Lord. Hallelujah. And if it's about him... Man, that's what it's about, guys. It's about coming here to give to him his portion, as it were. And that's what we've lost. And unfortunately, so much now of the Western church is about what we can get out of God. You know what King David did in front of the whole of the people of Israel? He took all his clothes off. He was the king. Took all his clothes off down to his underpants. And he danced before the Lord with all of his might and he humbled himself. Before God. So he wanted to show the people that the king of Israel was nothing compared to the living God. Amen? And what does his wife do? Unfortunately, because she wasn't in the spirit, she criticized him. And she was a barren woman from that day on. But the life and the Messiah came through David. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this afternoon. I thank you for this word that's going forth, your word, Lord, and I thank you that that there is an openness here and a willingness to to be able to, because this is a testimony of the work that you're doing in us, Lord, that we're able to sit and, and have these types of conversations and discussions and share and walk it out together with your spirit, Lord, and, and wrestle for it together, because love covers and and you've called us to be one with you. And you are building your church and you're building her authentically. You're building her through the power of your spirit. You're building her your way. 
And Lord, just continue to renew our minds and open up the eyes of our hearts that Paul prayed in the knowledge of you and in the knowledge of the riches that's found in the saints, the inheritance that that is for us now and the future. And just continue to unshackle us from uh, our flesh, Father, and the, the, the systems that we build off and we trust in. And I thank you, Lord, that you you are. You're, I thank you for the, the word unanchoring and then re-anchoring into the kingdom dynamics, the, the spiritual reality. And I thank you that you use physical types to show us spiritual truths. And so continue to do that, Father. But, Lord, we, we just, as Simon said, we, we, we want to surrender to you and we want to bring every time we get together, whether it's just us and you, whether it's with our brothers and sisters, Father, in large numbers or small numbers, that we would bring a nugget, nuggets to offer you. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.